I believe I announced that we were going to pray for Clarence Dundun and his nephew and family, but I think I forgot to pray, so I'd like to pray for him right now. Let us, let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come before you to also lift up before you Clarence Dundun, his family, his nephew especially, as he's on his deathbed. Lord, we do not know where he's at spiritually, but we pray that we know that it is possible, even on our deathbed, it is possible by your grace, your grace alone, to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. So we pray, if he's not in that kingdom yet, that you would, you would bring him into that kingdom by grace now. Lord, we pray for the family, that you would remember them, and you would comfort them also, as they've seen so much grief in the past couple of months, also with the passing away of this young man's Father, Lord, have mercy and sober us because it could be us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we considered Simeon's confession of Jesus as the Lord's salvation. It's a beautiful confession, isn't it? A glorious confession. At least it, it, it should be. But that's not all that Simeon says. Simeon also goes on to speak about something very sad, a very sad reality, the reality that there would be people who would reject Jesus Christ. And that's a reality also for, for us. Even when People have heard the, the glorious, this glorious confession of Christ that He is the Lord's salvation. All, all too often, so many people still today reject Him. They ignore Him. They, they say they don't need Him. They're, they're not that bad, they think. Or they're, they're good enough without Him. Or perhaps, perhaps they, they think that, well, He's, he's come he, and that's good enough. Because Jesus came, we're all going to heaven. And some people, on the other hand, maybe think the opposite. They think that Christ cannot or, or will not save them. They're maybe too far gone in sin. They, they think maybe they have to wait for God to give them some special personal green light to trust Him. Unbelief and rejection. It's a reality all around us in the world. And sadly, it's a reality also even in the church. You perhaps remember maybe your own past rejection of Christ. You can remember a time when you, you didn't care about Him and you just did your own thing and you ignored Him. And it's different now, praise, praise the Lord. But maybe even as a Christian, even as Christians, we, we don't reject Christ, but but we can struggle sometimes with the rejection that we see around us and we can struggle sometimes even with, all, with unbelief in our own, own hearts and in a certain sense, a, a kind of rejection at times and we, the Lord brings us back to repentance again, but we can struggle with this. We can struggle even when we have dear friends or family members, loved ones for whom Christ is nothing except an object of indifference, an object of doubt, an object of hatred, and perhaps even of scorn. Maybe you even have close loved ones. 
who view Christ in that way. Or perhaps you are here tonight and you're one of those loved ones. As one sitting here, as one who even now is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ at the end of 2023. Maybe you haven't yet understood how absolutely vitally important it is to trust in Christ alone for salvation. Maybe you haven't yet understood how willing he is to freely give salvation. The reality, the reality of rejection of unbelief is something we, we all deal with. And that is really what Simeon's word, it, 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 uh, it, you could almost, it almost seems anticlimactic, doesn't it? After this beautiful confession, uh, he says there in verse 34, we read that Simeon blessed Joseph and Mary. And he said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. It's not totally negative. But the focus, the focus is on the rejection. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There's a lot in this text. J.C. Ryle rightly said that every word of this prophecy, every word concerning this Concerning Christ, the Simeon speaks here is worthy of private meditation. He also said it is a prophecy that is being daily fulfilled. In other words, this prophecy, though it is about Christ's ministry when he was on earth, it's, it's about more than that. It's about his ministry today. It's about his ministry now. It's about his ministry among us. And so with God's help, that's really the burden of the message this evening in this last worship service of 2023. It's Christ's ministry among us, his being set among us. So that's our theme, Christ set among us. And we'll consider three thoughts from our text. It's great seriousness, it's humbling revelation, and it's gracious assurance. Many, as I mentioned in our world today, don't consider Christ coming into the world, much less his being preached. They, they don't consider that to be something very serious. But, but Simeon's first words to Mary in verse 34 make its great seriousness very clear. Listen again to his words. Simeon blessed them and he said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the falling and rising again of many in Israel. That little word, behold, congregation, already hints at the seriousness of what Simeon is saying. We saw it earlier today in the, in the first part of verse 25 when, when Luke drew attention, attention to Simeon. He said, behold, we've got to pay attention. This is important. And the words that follow here in our text underscore that. It underscores that Christ being set among us, not just in his coming into the world as a man, but also in the proclamation of the gospel is a very serious matter. It's you, Christ is set. And who is he set by? His being set refers to his being firmly appointed, being established, being destined. But who, who has set Christ among us? Simeon doesn't say, but the context makes it clear, doesn't it? It's the Lord. It's God. You remember from this morning how we, when we looked at Simeon, this godly man living in Jerusalem, how he was waiting expectantly 
for the consolation of Israel. The consolation that God had promised in His Word. And then the Holy Spirit had given him a special personal promise that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then the Spirit finally led him one day into the temple and he met Jesus as a baby, a little over a month, month old as Joseph and Mary were there with him fulfilling the law of the Lord. And, and he took Jesus up in his arms and he, in a worshipful spirit, worked faith and submission. He confessed, Lord, now let us, thou thy servant, Depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. What a glorious climactic statement about Jesus Christ. He's the salvation the Lord has prepared. The Lord has made ready before all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. And, and so you, you don't wonder, do you, as Joseph and, mother, and, and Mary, Jesus' mother, are, are standing there. And they didn't know Simeon before. And it's just, he just comes and says this, how they marveled. And then Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child, this one who is the Lord's prepared salvation is sense. The Lord promised the Savior in his word, the Savior. He anointed the Savior for his task. And he prepared the Savior for all peoples. Do you see what this is telling us? It's telling us who set Christ in our text. It is. The Lord. It's the Lord who has set, who has established, who has appointed this salvation. Christ is set by God. You see, that makes what we do with Christ. That makes what you do with Christ very, very serious. To reject Christ is to reject God. The one who made you, the one who holds your very breath in his hands. Your friends, your loved ones, perhaps you yourself may reject Christ as Savior, but that doesn't change the fact that he is set by God. The sovereign Lord has appointed Christ. He has set Christ among us. Shouldn't we trust and submit to him then? Maybe you say, well, isn't God's, God's appointment of Christ as Savior enough? After all, Simeon just said, Jesus is the Lord's salvation for all peoples. Why do I need to bother with personal faith and repentance? But you see, that's, that's not what Simeon was saying. Simeon was not saying that everyone in the world is saved simply through Jesus' coming, regardless of faith and repentance. No, he was saying that salvation is to be freely and sincerely proclaimed and offered to all through the coming of Christ. He doesn't mean that we're all automatically saved. Christ is set by God. And the reality is that he is set for a division. And that becomes so clear in our text because Simeon says in verse 34 that behold, he says this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. What's the picture here? The picture that Simeon is putting 
Fourth here is a picture of Christ as a rock. It's a familiar picture. It would have been to, to many of the Jews who studied their Old Testament. In Isaiah 8, verses 14 and 15, the Lord promised that he would be a sanctuary to those who fear him, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to many in Israel. To those who refused to believe in him, many, the Lord warns there in Isaiah 8, would stumble over him and fall and be broken. And Simeon, you see, is saying that Christ is the fulfillment of this promise in Isaiah 8. And the use of this promise in the New Testament tells us that the fall and the rising again of many in our text here, it's not referring, at least not primarily, to one group of people. There's a certain sense in which that's true, of course, that we, we fall and, and we're all fallen sinners and, and it's Christ that raises us again. But, but that's not what this text is talking about. If you look at the New Testament usages of the rock picture of Christ, it's not referring to one group of people, but it's referring to two different groups of people. In other words, Christ is the Savior set, appointed by God for a division. On the one hand, he is the rock over which many will stumble and fall and be broken. And this fall, congregation, is, is a severe fall. It's a fall from, from which there is no recovery. The, the falling is the same word that Jesus used to describe the, the, the falling of the foolish man's house built on sand. We, we mentioned that a few weeks ago in, in another sermon. And we mentioned how some of you children maybe sing that song sometimes at home. Right? The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And then what? The rains came down and the floods came up. And then what? The house on the sand fell flat. It collapsed. It was ru ruined. And so Simeon is saying that Christ is appointed. He is established. He is set for the ruin, on the one hand, of many. That is the solemn teaching of our text. And it applies not only to Christ's ministry in his own day on earth. It applies also to be his being set among us. But that doesn't mean it's his fault if you fall and are ruined by him. No. Your falling, your ruin will never be because of any fault in Christ. But because of your own stubborn rejection of him. I think Calvin is quite right when he says the ruin, in connection with this text, the ruin of unbelievers results from their striking against him. See, that is what unbelief is. It's striking against Christ and it accomplishes nothing except to cause you to stumble and to fall. And unless you repent, finally to be broken, to be ruined. What a warning this is to those of you who are listening this evening who are not trusting in Jesus Christ at this very moment. Who knows how close your ruin may be. May come even before this year is over. Don't make excuses. You see, don't make excuses for your refusal to come to Christ. Because once you are fallen, once you are brought to final and eternal ruin, you will never recover. It's a text that converted R.C. Sproul. The text in Ecclesiastes, I'm not quite sure of the reference, that chapter and verse. The text was this, where the tree falls, there it will lie. Where the tree falls, 
there it will lie. How serious, how serious Christ being set among us is. And yet the Lord has also set Christ as a firm rock on which many will rise. You see, the Lord promised another, in another passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 28, verse 16, in response to those who, re, who were refusing to put their tr- hope and trust in Him, He said this, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And then He said this, He that believes shall not make haste. Or you could translate, not hurry away. Or, or you could think of Psalm 118, we, as we sang from it, from Psalter 320, what wondrous things the Lord has wrought, the stone that the builders set at naught, established by no human hand, the chiefest cornerstone does stand. And this stone is Christ, you see, and He raises up all who rely on Him. We'll come back to that more in our third point. But, but children, maybe you have seen these, those big rocks somewhere, maybe by... Frank Slide, for example. And maybe you've gone there and even walked around there. And and my guess is if you've done that, you've probably climbed on some of those rocks. I know I have. But if you're not careful by them, what what could happen? If you're not careful, you can... You, they can make you stumble and, and fall. That, that's the picture Simeon is giving of Christ here. He is a rock, you see, which can either and will either cause you to fall if you ignore and reject Him. Or he's the rock that will save you and raise you up if you trust in him. The point is that Christ is set for a division. He comes as a savior appointed for division. And and notice where the division occurs. Not between Israel and the world. But within Israel. Within Israel itself. This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. In other words, Christ is appointed. He is set for a division among his covenant people. Why? Because he is not faithful to his covenant promises? No. No, but because there were those even among his covenant people who refused to trust in him. You see that as you read through the Gospels and you see how the Jews, so many of them, They refused, how they reacted to Christ. They refused to put their trust in Him. And we see that still today, don't we? Thankfully, not universally so among the Jews. But it's there. The congregation, that same division is occurring still today. And it's not just occurring among the Jews. It's occurring here. It's occurring among us. Do you see with me how serious Christ being set among us is? How many times has Christ been set among us in this past year? In the preaching of the gospel. How many times has he been freely and sincerely offered to you for salvation from the word of God? What a blessing. But salvation is not automatic. Not one of us is saved by simply hearing, sitting here and coming and hearing the good news of salvation. Not one of us is saved because we were baptized or because we go to church or even because we're a member of a conservative and reformed church. We are saved through a personal faith alone in Christ alone. The point of this, this, this first part of what Simeon is saying, he, you cannot have a neutral position toward Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It's impossible. 
You are either for him or you're against him. And that means that all of us, all of us are going to walk out these doors tonight. And we're going to be walking one way or the other. There's going to be nobody walking out neutral toward Jesus Christ. We're either going to be going the way of unbelief that leads to ruin. Or we're going to be going the way of faith that leads to salvation. If you die tonight. If you die tonight, which side of this division would you be on? Don't die in unbelief and rejection of Jesus Christ. Trust in him and cling to him in faith. Don't just assume that you're going the way of faith that leads to salvation. You see, our text shows us not only the great seriousness of Christ being set among us, but it also speaks, secondly, of its humbling revelation. Look at verses 34 and 35 again. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What a humbling revelation. Christ being set among us is a revelation reveals humanity's natural hostility and depravity. You think of, think of how our text says that Christ is a sign. What does a sign do, children? A sign points to something. It represents something, doesn't it? If I asked you to tell me, uh, just take a sign uh, with the letter H on it, what would you tell me that sign represents? A hospital, right? We know that. A sign with the letter H represents a hospital. And Christ, in the same sort of way, is set for a sign. But what is, what is he a sign of? What or who does he represent? He's a sign of God. He's a sign of the Father. Because Jesus said in another place in John, he said to his disciples, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So he's a sign of, of God and he shows us who God is and and think of what all he shows about God. He shows that he's a sign of God's free and sovereign love, doesn't he? What does John say in 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10? In this was manifested, revealed, the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or you can think of Romans 5 verse 8. That says but God commends his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Yes even when we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God sent Jesus to be made sin and a curse. In the place of sinners like you and me. You see, Christ is a sign, isn't he, of God's free and sovereign love. He's also a sign of God's great faithfulness. We saw that uh, on Monday. And we remembered his birth. Ever since Adam and Eve's fall in the garden, 
the Lord had graciously promised again and again to send a Savior through the seed of the woman who would crush Satan's head and bring redemption and forgiveness of sins to his people. And, and even when Israel was unfaithful to him, God didn't let his kindness and his mercy depart from them, but he confirmed his promise again and again and again. And finally, a Christ came. He came as that sign of God's faithfulness. His faithfulness to his promises. So we could sing, Oh, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. He's a sign of God's free and sovereign love. Christ is a sign of God's faithfulness. And Christ is also a sign of God's willingness to save. What more could he have given than his own son? The one who, who is called the good shepherd, who goes out and seeks and to save lost sinners to find that lost sheep that is straying and who rejoices, rejoices greatly when he finds them. The one who sees a sinner coming afar off and he sees him in the distance and what does he do? He runs toward him with arms wide open to welcome him. What a sign Christ is, you see. What a sign. And I'm sure we could think of more things that he shows us about God, but we've seen enough, don't we, to, to see that there's every reason to embrace him. But left to ourselves, what do we do? We don't. This child is set for a sign which shall be spoken against. More literally, it's a sign being, being, present tense, spoken against. There will be constant opposition to Christ, Simeon is saying. Despite Christ being set for a sign of God's love and faithfulness and willingness to save, he would be continually spoken against. He would be continually opposed and resisted even by his own people. And don't we have to say how accurate Simeon's prophecy was? When you continue reading through the book, the gospel account, just even of Luke or the other gospel accounts, as you read about how Christ ministered, you also see, don't you, you read how often the religious leaders opposed, constantly opposed Christ and spoke against him. And what did this hostility climax? Simeon hints at it, doesn't he, when he says to Mary in verse 35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul. Also, what a picture that is. It's a picture of of in, intense, swift, sudden, death-like pain and suffering. Some of you know, some of you know a little of this kind of pain. When a loved one dies, especially someone very close to you, like a spouse or a child, you feel the sharp pain of grief, don't you? A grief that passes through, as it were, the core of your being. It's like a part of you dies. It's like, it's, it's like a sword is piercing your soul, splitting you apart. And so Simeon's saying, Mary, you're going to feel that kind of pain. He's warning Mary, you see, that the opposition to her son will climax suddenly and swiftly in his 
Yes. And she will feel the blow. And so you see this being fulfilled in Christ's own ministry, but it didn't end there. It didn't end with the death of Christ. The hostility didn't stop at the cross. Yet even after Pentecost, the unbelieving Jews again and again, they opposed the preaching of the gospel. They persecuted, they even killed the Christians. Think of Paul before he was converted. And not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, many of the Gentiles also. In Acts 28, after Paul invited the Jews in Rome to hear him preach the gospel, they replied, they came and they replied that though they didn't know Paul, they did know that the gospel he preached was spoken against everywhere. And so it is also in our day. Christ is spoken against everywhere. How many Christians today, how many Christians today have felt the sword, as it were, piercing their own soul, sometimes even literally as the enemies of Christ strike them down. We don't realize, I know I don't, I get the voice of the martyrs, persecution and prayer alert, and I, it's hard for it to even sink into my mind that these, many of these believers are being killed, struck down, slaughtered, forced marriages. How awful is the hostility of man in his fallen, sinful condition toward God. Isn't, doesn't this show us that? That we would kill his incarnate son, the sign of his love, the sign of his faithfulness, the sign of his willingness to save as soon as we possibly could. That's what we read. They were always trying to kill him. And you see this hostility and this unbelief toward God is not just a first century problem. And it's not just a Jewish problem. It's our problem. Because the carnal mind, Paul says in Romans, is enmity against God. It's a wonderful privilege. It's a wonderful blessing that Christ has come over and over and over again to us in His Word this past year. It's a sign of his, God's love. It's a sign of God's faithfulness. It's a sign of God's willingness to save. He, call, he has called us and He has invited us. He has urged us. He has pleaded with us. Can I even say it this way? He has begged us to come to His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, by nature, what do we do? By nature, left to ourselves, we speak against Him. And if it's different, if it's different from that, if we actually do trust in Jesus Christ, as, as I, I'm I'm sure many of us do. It's not because of anything in us, but it's all because of the grace, the sovereign grace of God. You see, that's what, what Simeon is speaking about here. Is, he's speaking about what lives in our hearts by nature, all of us. Christ has been set among us in our midst this year. How many times? How many times for you? Maybe tonight's the first time. First time you've been here. Maybe it's been a hundred times. Maybe it's been 50 times. How are you responding? That is the question. 
If you are not personally and perseveringly trusting in Christ alone for all your salvation, then are you not constantly opposing him? You have your excuses, you have your doubts, but it's speaking against him. If you haven't responded in faith to Jesus Christ, can I ask you a question? How can you honestly say that you would not have crucified him and railed against him if you had been there? See, you can't be neutral toward Jesus. You're either for him or against him. Christ is set for a sign which shall be spoken against. It's a convicting and a humbling revelation of our hostility by nature. And it's a convicting and humbling revelation of our depravity. Simeon says in verse 35 that the, that the purpose behind God appointing Jesus or the effect behind God appointing Jesus for a sign which shall be spoken against is what? That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You see what he's saying? He's saying the opposition with which we resist Jesus is not a reflection of any deficiency in him. No, Christ is a clear, I'll keep saying it, he's a clear, unmistakable sign of the love of God, of the faithfulness of God, of his willingness to save. The opposition to Christ, whether it was during his life on earth or whether it's today here among us, reveals only the sorrow and the total depravity of man. And left to ourselves in the very core of our being, in our hearts, we are proud, self-righteous, and unbelieving, and spiritually blind. You say, that sounds harsh. Maybe. But it's biblical. For God teaches us about ourselves, left to ourselves in his word. We are full of hateful thoughts toward God and toward his cross. You see... What do you do then? What do you do when you've seen that? Have you seen that? Have you seen those thoughts in your own heart? What do you do with it? Let it humble you. Let it humble you like that thief on the cross. At the end of Luke's gospel, you know, there were two thieves and at first, they both railed and blasphemed. They railed against Christ and blasphemed him. But then there was a switch in one of them. As he saw this righteous man hanging there on the cross, he was convicted. He at first opposed and spoke against Jesus, but then under the conviction of his sin, he saw the depravity of his heart. He saw the thoughts of his heart for what they were. And he cried out, what did he cry out? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's what it should do. And that's what it does tonight. And that's an answer to prayer. Oh, that all the evil thoughts we find in our own hearts, all the, all the, even, even in our own struggles as Christians with doubts sometimes and, and speaking against Jesus Christ. We see them sometimes, don't we? Let them drive us for the first time and continually to Christ, trusting in Him and His finished work to save us. But will He, maybe you say, will He do that? Can He do that? 
all the times that I've spoken against him, all the times that I've pushed him off, all the times that I've resisted him, will he receive me now? That brings us to our third and last point. We've been considering Christ set among us, and we've seen its great seriousness and its humbling revelation. But lastly, notice with me its gracious assurance. And I want to focus here again on the beginning where Simeon says in verse 34, Behold, this child is set. He is set for the rising again of many. What a gracious assurance we find in these words. They assure us for one thing that salvation is by free and sovereign grace. And that's what we need. That's what we need for sinners and opposers like us. Without God's appointment and establishment of Christ, you see, we would have no hope. Apart from Christ and all that he's done and all that he does do, his being set among us, we all would be hopelessly lost, spiritually dead forever. But our text tells us that Christ is set for the rising again of many. And it's only by the sovereign grace of God he is set by God. What could be more encouraging than that? When you've seen and been convicted by your own wicked opposition to Christ, when you've seen the thorough hostility of your own heart left to itself to God, when you've seen your own spiritual deadness and helplessness to know that Christ is also set, not just for the fall, but for the rising again of many, the spiritual resurrection of many. He is set to give us everything we need for salvation, even also the repentance and faith that we cannot work up in our, soul, in our own souls. Doesn't this encourage you? I say, doesn't this encourage you? It encourages me. When we've been convicted and humbled of what God has revealed to us in our hearts. Doesn't this draw you to Christ? He has been set by God. He has been set by God to do everything we need. Everything we need to be raised from our body of death. Christ set among us assures us that salvation is by free and sovereign grace. That's the first thing. And the second and last thing is this. It assures us that salvation is sure in Christ. It is sure in Christ. He is set. He is set for the rising again of many. He is established. He is established as a rock that cannot be moved. Yes, he was opposed. He was spoken against. Yes, he was rejected. Yes, he was wickedly murdered. But you see, none of this defeated God's plan to save sinners in him. In fact, all of this, in a way that we can never fully understand, was foreordained, all that opposition was foreordained by God in order to accomplish and secure the salvation of his people. All the depth of the wisdom, the riches and wisdom, and the riches of the wisdom of God. You see, the death of Christ, the death of Christ was never ultimately in the hands and the control of man. Remember what Christ said in John 10, I lay my life down. I lay my life down for the sheep. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down again or lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my father. You see, it's, it's, it was part of his plan. 
God's plan. And that is what Christ did. He laid down his life. He endured the opposition. He stayed on the cross when they said, if thou art the Christ, then come down. He stayed on the cross and he willingly suffered and satisfied the full wrath of God on the cross. And then three days later, he took up his life again when he rose from the dead. And he did this all as the one who has been established and set by God. That many, why? So that many could be raised together with him. Salvation is sure in him. What an encouragement to entrust yourself completely and totally to him this night for the first time and again to persevere in faith, to go on as you exit this year and you go into the new year, to go on trusting in him amid all the opposition out there, amid even all perhaps the speaking against Christ that you hear in here, maybe among your friends, whatever it is, what an encouragement to go to Christ and to trust in him amid all the hostility, amid all the rejection, amid all the persecution you may face as you live for him and call others to trust him also. You may know that you are risen when you are trusting Christ. You are risen with Christ now spiritually. And he will one day also raise up your body so that you will be made like him. That's the gospel. The congregation, Christ, Christ has been set among us many times this past year. Many times. Now tonight he is set again. He is set among us once more. Do you realize the great seriousness of this? Are you convicted by its humbling revelation? Are you encouraged by its gracious assurance? trust in Christ alone. Christ is set among us right now. What are you doing with him? What is your response to Christ? If you are not trusting in him, you are against him. And if this is you, then you need to hear the warning in our text. And it is a warning text. If you are not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, you are heading toward a fall. In fact, in a certain sense, already now you are falling. You are falling. You are falling. But your fall is not complete because you are not dead yet. You're not in hell. You must break your fall. Christ is set among you. You must break your fall. Reach out your hand. Take hold of that rock. Don't worry if it hurts your pride. You get a few scratches and bruises. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'd rather your pride be hurt tonight than you to go on and go out of this, this building and to go into the new year and perhaps even who knows when you will meet your death to end up in hell. The rock is set before you. Reach out. Grab hold of it. Cling to Christ. Now. This evening. And you will not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame. But when he comes again. 
Because when he comes again in his glorified flesh one day, as the king of kings, and all who by grace have reached out to cling to hold desperately to that rock, because they have nothing else to hold on to, they have nothing in themselves, they will rise to meet him in the air. And we will worship him. We will worship him as we sang before the sermon, as the rock of our salvation to the glory of the triune God. Amen. Let us pray. It's a solemn thing, O oh Lord. It's a solemn thing to preach. It's a solemn thing to hear. Let us take care. Let us take care how we hear, Lord. We thank you so much for all the times Christ has been set among us. We tremble. We tremble at the words of Simeon. And we plead with you, Father. Plead with you that you would work through it. We not only tremble, but we grab hold of the rock. Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Let us sing together Psalter 422. 422 will sing verses 1, 5, and 6. Mm -hmm.